When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show brought to you by The Athletic UK. Today, we're going to be discussing Fulham's penalty heartbreak in the third round of the Carabao Cup. You can really call it heartbreak. Anyway, it was a strong performance against Premier League Leeds United. A strong team fielded by Marcelo Bielsa, but Fulham's second string did admirably and took it all the way to spot kick. So we're going to be looking back at that game. We're also going to be discussing the defence in detail. Alfie Mawson, has he done enough to worm his way back into the starting 11? We'll be looking at that and, of course, previewing Bristol City on Saturday with a particular Fulhamish curse heading our way. Uh, and here to discuss all of that it is the Thursday Club. So it's Peter Brutzler. Hello, Sammy. How are we? Fine, thank you. And he's back, Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me back, Sam. All good? All good, thank you. All good. Um, let's do some three-word reviews, first of all, from Tuesday night's game against Leeds United. What came through, Jack? There were some really good ones. Um, JX, he's on. I assume you pronounce that Jason. He said marching out together, um, which was yeah. which was good. Sparky TKO with a spot of bother. I enjoyed Londinium calling with B-team blues. Uh, Richard Bamba, our old friend Sol, with a shooting private Brian. Uh, but maybe my favorite <laughs> of the lot, maybe my favorite of the lot was Justin Miller with don't care about it. Very good. And it was a weird one on Peter Tuesday, um, seeing a near full strength Premier League side. There were a couple of drops from Leeds, but it was a very, very strong team uh, picked by Bielsa going up against B team championship side. And when you looked at those two lineups, I feared a, maybe a three nil to Leeds when you just looked at it on paper. But the B team did admirably. Yeah, fully rotated team. It's hard to call it quite a B team because you know we've got Josh Honomer in there and got Harrison Reed in there so and we've talked about how that that B team could compete very strongly in the championship I guess we saw that um Leeds did make a couple of changes they had some some really young players in there uh from their under 23s they had obviously Shackleton's been around the first team for a while but I think he struggled a bit in midfield and but but all the same as you say you know when they've got Rodrigo playing Calvin Phillips Ilan Melier in goal um are clearly taking the competition as seriously as they can uh, after a tricky start to the Premier League um, this year. So, um, but yeah, Fulham, Fulham acquitted themselves really well. Um, it was pretty even on balance throughout most of the game. I think Leeds probably edged it on chances, but uh, I think that was the sort of the key theme that came out after the game from a Fulham perspective was actually getting a sense of how strong the depth actually, the depth of the team is and, and what Silver has to work with and. Silver spoke about that afterwards and said, you know, if anyone slips, they'll be in trouble. Um, so, which is a great position to be in. It's good to have that sort of healthy squad competition and, and particularly a, across the across the squad. And 
Um, with the games, you know, cycling quick, very quickly, injury seemingly picked up every week at the moment. Um, it's it's really healthy with with the promotion on the cards. I see, Peter, that you've got a, a, an athletic pen. Is that like a perk of the job? Is that what you get when you <laughs> when you sign up? A bit like the president of the USA, you get your own special pens to to write articles with. It's a signing on fee, and I can only write my articles with it. Um, they're all handwritten, and then they're they're posted in a special box, and someone types it up for me. How many more times do I need to read the code before I can get one? Is the is the real question. How many more times do I need to say the athletic.com forward slash full of pod before I can get my own pen? Um, Jack, um, it felt to me like the Rodrigo Muniz show, let alone the Rodrigo show on on Tuesday. Um, I've never seen a striker be more involved in a game yet not find the back of the net, but also not play that badly either. It was I was just desperately upset that he didn't get his goal because he must have had about five headers hit the, the, the roof or the side of the net. Yeah, it felt like the battle of the Rodrigos, didn't it? Both wearing yeah. number nineteen as well. Um, so there, there's one for the yeah, there's one for the stat heads. Um, yeah, it was it was it was really good. It was a very very impressive performance in in many ways. Um, I mean, the less said about the spot kick, the better. But equally, I think that if you uh, if you don't miss a spot kick for Fulham, it's basically like you. It's the equivalent. I think someone said in in, in our Fulham fans Ireland uh, WhatsApp group of your initiation song. <laughs> Until you've missed a, fo- a penalty for Fulham, you're not really allowed to be part of the team. So um, I guess he was just kind of getting out of the way. I think there was a point where he went ninth and you were like, why is he going ninth? Uh, that's that's bizarre. Um, and, and then at that point you go, okay, that's why he's going ninth. Um, but yeah, no, I thought he was impressive. I thought his movement was really good. I thought his, I mean, you can see as as George Singer put on the in the halftime thoughts, you can see why New, uh, why Warnock and Burrow wanted him. He puts himself about. He's incredibly athletic. His jumps are really really good, and he's good in the air. Um, and he was able to win a lot of uh, flick ons, a lot of kind of. Um, hold up moments from him and it doesn't stick to him I would say it's not a he's not a traditional hold up man in that you know you get the ball and it it holds him in the same way that sometimes it does with Alexander Mitrovic but in terms of flick-ons and winning things in the air and that aerial prowess um, I was really impressed and actually I think maybe he suffered a bit from the fact that we had three behind him who I thought all did okay to be perfectly honest with you um, in in Knockart, Keener and, and Cabano who basically refused to kind of run off him um, and I think we lacked a little bit for for kind of dynamism going forwards off the back of, of Rodrigo and getting used to that new kind of system. If he is going to play there and we are going to whip those balls into him aerially, then someone needs to be in and around him very, very close to, to try and push onwards. So, yeah, I, I thought it was a really impressive uh, display. I thought he, he, he did really well and I think he's going to play a big part this season. I mean, Peter, I was surprised to see him play so much of a role. Tim Ream tweeted that he could barely walk after Saturday's game against Reading. And then he put in the full 90 and then kind of Tim went out of his way on Twitter, as happens these days with Tim Ream, um, to, to praise Mooners. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a bit of a surprising one to see him so involved from the start. I was expecting a bit more of Jay Stansfield just because I knew that Mooners was carrying a bit of a knock, but it didn't seem to affect him all that much. Yeah, no, I, I felt exactly the same way. I didn't think didn't think he'd be involved really. Um, judging by the way he sort of limped off at the weekend, and then, um, and then yeah, and then as you say, then you know, Tim said afterwards about that. So um, it's I, I I agree with Jack. I think he did well. I think it's always going to be tricky, and, and Leeds are a difficult one to sort of assess any player because of the way they play and their 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 man marking. And um, 
but it was just those little glimpses that were really encouraging. I mean, as Jack said, the flicks and the, the the shot he took in the first half, where I think Joe Bryan sort of drives from defence and in, into the midfield area and lays a pass to him. It doesn't really seem like there's anything on. Drops his shoulder and then suddenly he's away. Um, has a shot and it's safe. But those those moments are what what were really encouraging. And I, you know, I think having him in around the setup and and just get get that time he'll probably need to to adapt. Um, you know, you can, you can see that there'll be elements of his game. I think working out the tempo and and, and how physical it is as well um, will take a little bit of adjusting to. But in general, his all round play was good. Um, I think it's definitely a right of passage missing a penalty. Um, but you know, you could see and you could see actually how much it, it meant to him. You know, and I, I guess for a lot of I don't know. I'm, I'm 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 looking at more of a neutral perspective, but obviously, you know, from a I'm at, from a Fulham side, you know, that the you don't want <laughs> these games necessarily to keep going with the with the with the runs they've got and promotions, obviously the target. So dropping out of the Carabao Cup is not the end of the world, but you could see that it meant a great deal to Muniz, and obviously it was his first start. And but you know, his teammates were rallying around him, and you know, I'm sure I'm sure the message will be hammered home that it's fine. You have to miss a penalty to be a part of this Fulham Fulham setup at the moment. So, um, you know, it's uh, it, it can only it can only improve from here. But I think it's some really positive signs in his first start. And yes, one of Peter's articles that you can read on the Athletic this week is a bigger profile on Rodrigo Muniz, um, talking about how he's transferred from Flamengo to Fulham. I, I did not know that he scored a bicycle kick goal at the Maracanã. Uh, That's the only thing that anyone knew about him. <laughs> that was the that was literally the highlight reel. I didn't know it was at the Maracanã. Oh, mate, that's where Flamengo play. Well, I just didn't maybe put two and two together. But um, <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like he needs a few more goals for this title, but can he be called the Putley Pele? Uh, one day, oh one day we'll call it the Putney Pele. You, mean, don't want to, you don't want to put more pressure on his shoulders. He's already come in as a Brazilian. Um, it, work, it works though, give me that. It works, oh yeah, absolutely. It scans well, it scans yeah, yeah. well. Um, well, yeah, you can read more uh, about Rodrigo Muniz um, uh, on The Athletic if you go to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham Pod. You can sign up and get 33% off the subscription and one closer to that glorious pen. Um, Jack, let's have a look at the rest of the team. And I think there was mixed performances you know, good and bad. Um, we're going to come on to the defence a little bit later. Um, in the midfield, I felt like it was very much, maybe not the good, the bad and the ugly, but it was very much the good and the ugly. I thought that Queena was fantastic and Knockart on the right, it was a performance to forget. I thought maybe this is the one where Knockart comes screaming back into the team, bends one in from 25 yards and gives everyone a question or two. Um, that was not what happened. No, it wasn't. He, 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 I mean, he worked hard. That's, that's where we're at. It's Anthony Knockart. He always works hard. He shifted up and down the wing, but it just was that element of, I don't know, sharpness, I think, missing that, you know, you, you come used to watching a player. And even when Knockart was having a, a tough spell with Fulham, even when he wasn't playing well and, you know, we were all a bit frustrated, you could see he was sharp. It just wasn't falling for him. This felt like he was rusty. Um, and and look, you can't really blame him. He's now what fifth to sixth choice winger at the club. He, he has fallen down the pecking order in a remarkable manner, um, and 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 therefore is not going to get many games. And you know, there's also that element when you do end up doing that, and you do end up having that moment, and you are an anti knockout esque figure. You end up trying too hard, and and I think it was all sorts of the above is how I would kind of put it. It's one of those where. 
it, everybody kind of wants it to come round and work out, but it just feels like all the pressure is now on everybody. You know, it, there's pressure from the fans to be like, okay, if you want it, then, then push on and make it work. And then Knockhart's putting that pressure on himself. He's trying too hard. He's trying too much. It's just not clicking for him. There's no kind of flow or rhythm to his game. Um, and, and look, I'm, I'm not going to criticize him because he has, you know, it's very obvious how hard he's working, how much he's trying to make it work. But ultimately, right now, it just doesn't feel like he has the quality of the rest of Fulham's wing core. And and ultimately, that means, I think, we're not going to see that much more of him across the course of this season. And Queener, I thought he played brilliantly. By the way, I've started calling him Queener because that's what Ivan Berry was calling him on the, the Tannoy. So I, I feel like Ivan asks around and, and gets the intel on this. So I'm, I'm going to call him Queener. But uh, Jack, maybe you can uh, re-educate the both of us. I don't think there's a soft cue in Portuguese, but I might be I might be incorrect. So I will double check on that, and then I will come back to you in the next episode. I, I believe it's Keener. Um, I, I've been led to believe it is, but I can uh, double. I'll double check from my uh, Portuguese sources, aka <laughs> Lucy. Um, and <laughs> we'll, um, we'll, we'll get the we'll get the ultimate lowdown on that. Yeah, I, I thought he was good. I, I think there's a funny thing with Keener where we you watch him play and. When he actually has the ball, it sticks to him like glue. He, you know, he has a wonderful touch. He's able to, his, his close control is brilliant. He can ghost past the player. Um, I do still feel like there's a little bit of aimlessness in it. You know, he gets the ball, he'll beat a player and he doesn't really know where he's going. Um, now, at, at times, that can be a good thing because it means the defender definitely doesn't know where you're going. Um, but on the whole, I think that there's a, an element of a lack of directness, a lack of... Kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing beating a player, but then you've got to take that space that you open up. The whole game is about, you know, if you beat a player, what you do is you you open up one of the gaps and therefore you have to commit other players and free a, a teammate. And that's how you create gaps and holes, especially when you're playing a team like Leeds, who man mark. Um, you have to be able to, you know, take advantage of the situations. I felt almost like he'd beat a player and then hesitate and it would allow them to regroup and it would you know you would the opportunity to 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 overload with the extra man would be gone so at at the moment i think it's flashes and look this isn't again this isn't a criticism it's a he's getting to grips with this new team getting to grips with getting back to match sharpness we haven't seen him play too much football you know for for a little while now he obviously went over to granada it was here and there. They were part of that. He was part of that team that was rotating quite heavily during their Europa League run as they got to the quarterfinals. There's, there's a lot going on there when when he went over to to Granada. So I think we're still seeing him, you know, adjusting back to the pace of life in in a first team. We're seeing him adjust back to the pace of life in England. Um, and and over the course of the game, I thought he improved. Um, but I still think there's a lot of talent there, and I think that the, the ceiling is incredibly high if we can unlock it. And um, Peter, who else uh, impressed and maybe didn't impress you in the game? I thought Josh Onamu was very good. Um, I thought he and Harrison Reed together as a, as a two worked quite nicely. I think I think we've seen with with Onuma this year that when he's given that freedom and that template to really express himself from midfield, he's he's a fantastic player. Um, his ability to go past players, he's very tidy on the ball, um, and I, I think he's an asset. And I think he's exactly the kind of player Silver wants in that sort of box to box eight role um and and maybe even could slot in on the other side as that almost 10 so um again he impressed me of course we will talk about the defense a little bit more and and how well Alfie Mawson did at the back alongside Michael Hector too who you know hasn't been involved so much 
because he came back from the Gold Cup late and obviously last year was, was not seen at all. But I thought he was very, very good alongside alongside Alfie Mawson. Um, stepped into midfield, which he's done for Jamaica, which which got a lot of uh, got a lot of traction, I think, online when it happened. But Claude Michael <laughs> Oh wow! <laughs> well, we'll just skip over that. Um, there are there are a couple of times in the second half where it just opened up for him to shoot. I think the first time it sat so kindly and he passed it up, and then the second time it was less kind and he and he pulled it wide. But um, no, I thought I thought those were those were standouts, and of course Marek Rodak. Um, some important saves. I think Leeds had the better chances. They had a couple of one-on-one situations, and 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 Rodak was was it was equal to all of it. So he's certainly done his case no harm. Um, whether that will be enough to dislodge uh, Gatsaniga, we'll, we'll have to see. But um, it's uh, that those those will be encouraging moments, and these are the opportunities that these players will, will need to grasp. I think on the flip side, I agree with Jack. I think the whole the whole right side struggled. To be honest, I think. Again, it comes down to sharpness. A lot of it, you know, Cyrus Christie's not played at all. Um, he struggled against Dan James. Leeds were targeting that side as well. Every time in the first half they got the ball, they switched it left with long diagonals. Um, and, and James was a, was a real menace. Um, and then, you know, with Nokar, you could, you could see how much he's, he's trying. Um, but of course, it's, it's that, that quality and that finesse. Oh, I would say also about Niskin's Cabano. Um, his deliveries from the left-hand side were very good. I felt picked out Muniz a couple of times. I think Muniz's chances were always on the stretch. They were, I think, the, what, there was one in the first half where he, the early one where he had loads of space and probably could have done better, and the one at the end as well where he volleys over. Um, but generally, Cabano's deliveries were very, very good, and I think that's something that is probably lacked from that side. Yeah. And don't forget the wicked free kick at the end of the um, first half. I was in block J of the, of the Johnny Haynes, so perfectly placed to see it. And it caused all sorts of panic. Um, it was it was a wonderful free kick and deserved to go in. But by hook or by crook, uh, even Melian is a great defenders, save. It's a great yeah, save. Managed to, managed to keep it out. I will slightly temper that I thought that whilst Michael Hector was good at defending crosses and aerially, I, I, I'm, I'm surprised how far his distributions and there were so many times where he made misplaced passes coming from the back and I don't know that's not the Michael Hector I certainly remember Jack from from 1920 he's he's good at getting rid now um would be my argument um loves finding touch um but <laughs> but also yeah I mean look it, it did it felt a couple of times like he, he went to play the crossfield Diag, he went to, you know, to, to really try to play those long passes that he was actually very, very good at, and it just skewed off and went into the stand. So I'd imagine that maybe that's just a, a kind of a fallout again of not playing much. You know, it's hard to drop players into this environment, and expect them to suddenly be as good as they were at any given point in the future if they haven't played very much football for a year, right? So I think that that Hector whilst well I thought he was okay I thought he did well when he moved into midfield I think it was we were all a bit like ooh this could go one of two ways um but over the course of the game I thought he was okay yeah his passing was a little bit suspect at, at times and especially those kind of skewed ones out of play two or three times in the first half but I thought on the whole he improved um over the course of the game I thought by the end he was stroking the ball around quite nicely um and it was good for him to get 90 minutes under his belt and to score a really nice penalty so uh so yeah now that's one to come on to so the penalty shootout I mean 
I got really excited for the penalty shootout and then someone, I don't know, next to me in the stand was just like, why is everyone getting excited? We're terrible at penalties. And I thought, oh, yes, of course. How could I forget? Um, Because it was funny. Like, obviously, at that point, it was like, I I do think there's a level that, like, obviously, every single time Fulham play a football match, you want them to win, right? That's that's part of being a fan. There is also an element of being like, we could probably do with not being in this cup. Um, we've taken a, a good Premier League size all the way to penalties. The only reason that I was like, oh, this is annoying is because I knew that QPR had taken Everton to penalties and I knew they'd won. And obviously Brentford had won about 12 nil. Um, so I was like, oh, it would be good to chuck our name into the hat as well. That was the only reason really I wanted to win the penalty shootout. Um, and, and you get to that point, you're like, oh, well, if we lose and we miss loads of penalties, it's going to be kind of hilarious. I was basically like, take Mooney's off keep him like maybe the reason he went ninth is because i was like i don't want him to be in like infected with with what else is about to happen here and from the moment that josh onderman hit the bar after one i was like this is comic this is genuinely comic (laughs) but funnily enough peter fulham pulled it back uh, and leeds um choked a couple of times at the crucial moments i must admit um I think it was Dallas who missed the fifth penalty. It was nice that Dallas and Forshaw missed. I enjoyed both of those. Oh, no, yeah. It was Forshaw that missed the kind of crucial fifth penalty, which would have won it for Leeds. And I did think at that point, well, if you're going to miss the winning penalty effectively, um, this might be Fulham's day. Ultimately, it wasn't to be because the next penalties after that in sudden death were, were very coolly taken. Yeah, I mean, well, so did Fulham um, for those next three. Obviously, Michael Hector stepped up, put it away. Alfie Mawson did. Uh, despite being asked to respot it, he said uh, he said afterwards that it was because it wasn't. He thought he could take it like a corner, so it's just sort of like touching the spot. But then the referee was like, "No, it's got to be on the spot." So then he had to respot it. But then he still stuck it away. And then, and Bobby Reed too. Bobby Reed was way further down than I thought he would be. You know, he's got a really good track record mm. from the spot. But um, but his away. Uh, but yeah, and I think what was you know there was a few youngsters taking them for leads as well and. Um, Gellhart yeah, McKinstry scoring the winning two penalties was a bit of a oh god they have uh, there's a lot of their Gellhart in particular has a really lovely left foot the moment he stepped up I was like well he's going to score I thought McKinstry was going to miss um, but you know fair play sometimes you there is a theory that young players actually always do better at spot kicks because they don't have the kind of weight of history upon themselves which which Fulham plainly do <laughs> apart, apart from Moon is he now, he now knows what it's like but um yeah, I mean, we have, you know, Joe Bryan's penalty was, was something to behold. I couldn't actually tell the direction it went from where I was sitting in the Johnny Haynes. I didn't know if it was, it was sort of to the it, right. It went, it it just, went it, as if he was going for the, if he's looking at the goal, he was going for the top right corner. You, 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 yeah, okay. But yeah. I think you could have put another goal on top of the goal <laughs> and it still wouldn't have hit the top right corner. It was so far over. It, it, was, it was a bad pen. It was a bad pen. <laughs> if if it was me and someone was like, "Is this a good or a bad idea?" I'd say that's a bad idea. Don't do that. Don't don't ping it in the top corner unless you're well good at penalties. He, yeah. he has a bit of set piece credit in the bank, so he can he can let that. Oh, one I mean, it's, it's just fine, isn't it? Like this is the thing. <laughs> I, I, I think I think you are totally right, though, Jack. Ultimately, it came down to penalties. I was kind of proud of the players for getting to that point. They made a spectacle of the evening. We we took a good side all the way. I think we can take the confidence out of that losing from the ninth penalty in a penalty shootout is hardly a dent on the confidence apart from maybe to Minis personally, but I reckon he's probably a big enough lad to, uh, to kind of pass it off and go again. So all in all, is this the perfect outcome? I hate to say it. 
Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, I, I mean, it would have been fun to have gone on a cup run. And actually, I think maybe you could argue that continue, considering how how deep this squad is, right, and how much we were able to rotate for this game and therefore and still take a good side, you know, to, to penalties, then, then maybe actually a cup run would have been the worst thing because we have the depth to handle it. Bear in mind, you know, we thought we'd see a lot more youngsters yesterday. We didn't see any, right? Ollie O'Neill didn't come off the bench. We didn't see we didn't see Stansfield. We didn't see Pajaziti. We didn't see Fossey. We didn't see uh, George Wickens. There's a lot of players here who Fulham have utilised. You know, Tyrese Francois started the season in midfield. We haven't seen him in a squad for a while. Like, yeah. you know, this that's where we're at with, with things. We have a lot of players here who who are trying to get minutes, who are working their way into into senior football. And, you know, maybe a cup run wouldn't have been the worst thing in terms of trying to rotate and make those players, you know, and get those players minutes. But ultimately, there's another cup in the FA Cup that will start after Christmas and we'll have a think about and, and I assume use the squad for that. So perhaps, yeah, perhaps it is a good outcome. Um, but I do think there was a, an opportunity to just get the rotation players more minutes. I mean, the championship is famously, you know, choppy waters. It's famously relentless. We are going to have to rotate. But I do think there's enough depth in this squad that we would have been able to to handle a cup run at the same time. Yeah, I, I agree with Jack. I think you can see from the subs as well that, that Silver did make, bringing on Cavalero, Decadoverid, that this was something you wanted to win. Maybe it was there to be won, to be fair. It was a game that was quite even, but um, it was a shame we didn't get to see those youngsters or they didn't get their, their debuts. A difficult one to come into, but, um, you know. As and you went to see Ollie O'Neill. Yeah, Ollie O'Neill, Island number 21. <laughs> um, he, yeah, so he's yet to make his debut. Marlon Fossey as well is yet to yet to play Fulham. So um, it would have been nice to see those. I think Adrian Pagetis didn't make the squad in the end. No, he he was there. He was definitely there, but he didn't... Um, it was uh, probably nineteenth man. So, um, but yeah, it's yeah one of those, one of those. But with the squad, maybe maybe it would have been a bit would have been helpful. But there's there's more yeah. to come. I mean, it was an incredibly strange atmosphere on um, Tuesday, Jack. I don't know if I've ever quite seen it where it genuinely felt fifty fifty in the uh, in the stadium between Leeds fans and Fulham fans. Look, they travel in numbers. There's a lot of Leeds fans in London, um, but even so, a lot of Leeds fans also would have travelled down from Yorkshire for for this one. I think maybe you just have to hold your hands up that it's a big city. They do have impressive support. I, I do just feel like Fulham maybe could do a bit more to pack out those early Carabao Cup rounds. I know that way back in the day, these used things used to be included in season tickets. Generally, the first cup game at home of the year used to be part of the season ticket package. I don't really see why clubs don't do that. Uh, it, it seems like a no-brainer to me. Generally, it's going to be a game that's pretty sparsely attended anyway. Why not try and get one of the games packed out? It's an extra perk for season ticket holders. I, I find it funny that the club don't think to do that. But to be fair, not many clubs do that anymore. No, or just kids for a quid or, or whatever it is, you know, in terms of bringing through, you know, we've had this discussion many times, but just in terms of bringing through a new generation of Fulham fans. And 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 look, at the moment, I suppose with the stand going up and whatever, they, they don't really care because it all looks a bit funny with, with a stand missing anyway, um, would be my take. Um not don't really care, but you know it's kind of a, a problem for another day. Um, so that, that's kind of how I imagine they see it at the moment. Um, look, it, I, I suppose there's a funny old kind of question, isn't there, about how you know if a seat is going to be empty, is it worth giving the seat away because they 
you know, whoever comes into the seat, if they've pound, paid a pound for it or paid a fiver for it, might be more likely to buy, you know, a hot dog at half time or a, or a beer or a can of, of can of Coke or whatever it is, you know, to, I was going to say fizzy pop, but I think I'll just say that my dad. Um, <laughs> um, it was, um, I, I just have a, I, I'm just a bit confused by it, but I think it's just the modern game. We've just seen it in, at City, right, with, with Pep and, and the Champions League and them talking about how it's difficult and different to, to, to the old package that normal fans get with their season tickets. And it just seems like a strange kind of dichotomy that clubs just haven't really got to grips with. And maybe it's one for the FST um, to, to have a real think about and how we can kind of try to make those things happen. But, you know, you do worry with nights like that, that, you know, if, if it's that sparsely attended with three stands, what happens when there's a fourth and the fourth is a multi-layered, you know, big old, you know, couple of thousand seating, big riverside, yeah. you know, is it that, that I don't think people are going to come for the standalone. I think there is a kind of a pervading feeling sometimes around the hierarchy that, uh, oh, we got a new stand. People come to that. But like, no, 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 people don't come to football for the stand. Much of the stand is cool and nice and it's going to be really nice. But you know, I, I do worry when it's when it when it's finished as to how Fulham packed that out. Yeah, no, I totally agree, and I, I just couldn't get that out of my head. Maybe because I was in the Johnny Haynes as well, Jack on on Tuesday. It's the first time I've been in the Johnny Haynes. I reckon maybe four or five years. I haven't not sat in the hammy end, and you know, obviously I was at the Leeds end. It was noticeable how loud Leeds were, and that the Hammersmith end really wasn't competing with that. But also, you just had this absolutely mahoosive stand in front of you, and you're thinking. God, like how on earth are Fulham actually going to, you know, try and get attendance is great. And and whilst you don't get extreme examples like Leeds coming to town every every week, I think there's got to be a lot more invention, I think, from the from the ticket office and the comms in order to try and get a new generation of Fulham fans. Because whilst the attendances have improved over the years, I think there's I think we could all admit there's still a lot of work to do before we're absolutely selling out 30,000 comfortably every single game. Anyway, that'll do for part one. Part two, we're going to look at Fulham's defence. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James, joined by Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Peter Rutzler. Hello. Peter, you've done another article for The Athletic. That is the job. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you keep writing articles for The Athletic? It's just a, a fun pastime for Peter. Um, and it's on Alfie Mawson. You spoke to him after the game and... Well, he has certainly thrown the cat amongst the pigeons with that performance on Tuesday. Um, in the podcast that we did with Tim Ream, if you haven't listened to it, please do. Um, Tim is excellent and I have a, a, an even bigger soft spot for Tim than I already did. Um, but he said in that interview that Alfie is breathing down his neck, in his words. I mean, the pressure has intensified even more following that performance on Tuesday. It was commanding. Um, he brought the ball out of defence really, really well. He just looked like such an assured player, looked a bit like the player we all thought we were getting back in 2018 when we paid all that money for him. Yeah, absolutely. I think, as you said there, Sammy, he was very, very composed. He took the captain's armband as well, led the team very well. Um, It was his all-round play, I suppose, that kind of, shone and stood out I think he was of course he played for a ball playing Swansea team it was linked with big clubs at the time before he went to, to Fulham so he, he has all this in his locker we, we sort of know it but we haven't really necessarily seen it um, I know that 
Jack will love to talk about his marauding runs and a nickname he caught coined for him that I think he wants to get rid of now but um uh but, but that that side to his game you know he, he's quite an he's an intelligent operator in that area knows when to take the ball knows how to play it very good distributor and I, it shouldn't really be a surprise but but it is because of the injuries he's had and, and for how long he's been out of the the picture really and um he was really candid about that when I spoke to him after the game um talking about why he probably hasn't recovered in the way he would have liked um he talked about diet recovery um and that now he feels that those problems are sort of behind him and he's in the best he feels as, as good as he he has ever felt really um it's it's you know we've all felt quite un you know it's been an unlucky for him when you have such a succession of serious injuries that it, it, it's difficult um and he's had that sympathy but i think now he seems to be in a good place um and for Fulham, it, you know, it's it's difficult because, you know, we, we're looking at his form and we know what he can bring. But at the same time, it's like, well, it's not like Tim Ream or Tosin Adrabai have done anything wrong. I mean, was it Tosin the other week against Birmingham was unbelievable. Um, Tim Ream's not put a foot wrong defensively. So it's really, really competitive. Um, but he's, as you say, he's there. He's breathing down both both defenders' necks. And, you know, Silver sort of alluded to it <clears throat> after the game as well in his press conference asked asked because he's been asked a couple of times about Alfie and how far away is he you know how much pressure is he putting on them and he he sort of, he said you know he, he went back over previous comments but then in the end was like, like directly speaking he is pushing really really hard um so I don't think there's much more he, he can do really Jack your thoughts on on Alfie would you would you put him in the starting lineup against Bristol on on Saturday Alfie Moraudson yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, would I put him into this lineup against Bristol? I mean, it's says Crown. He knows well. Obviously, he was on on loan there last year. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so there's that element. Um, it's hard to, isn't it? It's hard to. It's hard to say. Oh yeah, we're going to drop Tim Ream. We're going to drop Tosin, given how good they've been. Right. It, it, I agree with Pia. It, it's, it's it's one of those things where, on the whole, you look at how Fulham have performed defensively and. I mean, two lapses aside, which both came down you know, the right last last week against Reading. You know, most of the time, we've been pretty good, solid defensively. We've been impressive, um, and and therefore, do you break that up? You know, there does feel like there's an understanding there, and it does feel like there's a bit of kind of veteran in Team Ream guiding a you know a new gen in in, in Tosin through this first kind of couple of years of his career and we're seeing him improve week on week. Do I think Alfie Mawson could fill that role? Sure, I think so, absolutely. And I'm I'm really, really impressed with how well he's played when I've seen him play, how excellent he was when he stepped in at Stoke um, and was able to, you know, just take over almost seamlessly from when Tim Ream got injured. It was really, really impressive. So I think there is a space for him here and I do think that he is going to be pushing to, to line up eventually alongside uh, Tosin Adrabio in, in in that in that back four. There's also the element of you know how, what are you building here? Are you building a team that can compete next year? And if that is the case, do you look at this and go, you know, is Alfie Mawson and Tosin Adrabio the long term partnership for Fulham? And therefore, should we be blooding that slightly more now in order to make sure that when it comes around next year, you know, wherever we are, is that what we're looking at and going? That's that's what we see as our future partnership, and therefore we need to kind of really get it going, get that kind of synergy between them rolling. Probably, but um, at the moment, I don't think you can you can 
talk about dropping Tim Ream when he's been so important. He's wearing the armband. He is giving that kind of leadership to this side. So, so it's a good problem to have, isn't it? You've got three defenders here all playing really well, really pushing to, to be key parts of this season. I think that, you know, like, like it says in the article, Alfie feels like he will get that chance this season, that he's been given the opportunities to prove himself and then the time will come. Um, and therefore, I think that we, we should wait and see. And I, I kind of try, trust Silver to manage this one appropriately. Um, there was a moment in the Tim Ream interview, you might remember it, where um, I think Farrell said something along the lines of, um, you know, we're all really happy to see you back in the first team this year. And, and Tim Ream goes, but are you, are you? And um, <laughs> I think Tim Ream, like, I think he's very self-aware of like the opinions of like him and the fan base. And I think he sees a lot of it. And I saw that face that Tim Ream, I saw those, into those eyes and I'm not, I'm not going to go on the podcast and say that Tim Ream should be dropped. I, 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 I am a chicken uh, and bowing down to Tim Ream here. So um, look, I think it's going to be really strong, intense competition. And, and Peter, one thing that you touched on a lot in this article about Alfie was his injuries. He's been plagued by them, absolutely plagued by them pretty much since the day he arrived at Fulham. Um, but what I found interesting was that he he's actually really got into shape as well and has changed some of his lifestyle in order to kind of, he, he blames a lot of his injuries on bad personal choices, which I, I, I read and thought, is that really the case? You've already just got challenged a bit hard in, in training, but he, you know, he says he's dropped a shirt size. He says that he's um, being a lot more professional off the pitch with his diet. And he thinks that is what is making the big difference. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that was a key part of it. And as you say, he says he's dropped his shirt size. And I think sometimes it is about how you deal with those the recovery. There's always that pressure in you when you're in that situation to come back and to, to play as soon as you can. But getting that right is, is important. And he was really honest about it. Um, he says he's in, he's in a good place. And, um, and, and that's what, that's what's important, to be honest. It's, it can't have been an easy period. As you say, he's had a lot of injury troubles. I mean, he arrived at Fulham off, off the back of the injury issue at Swansea. He, you know, I think he's, I think we did the maths for it for the piece. It's something like 76 games he's missed, if you include some of last season. And of course, he was at Bristol City. And I mean, that was just so, so unfortunate. He had a knee, he started the season incredibly well. They really, really liked him there. It, it sort of married up with a real upturn in Bristol City's form. He was wearing the armband there as well, wasn't he? Yeah, exactly. Started the season so strongly, got on really well, as you can kind of tell when he talks about Bristol City at the end of the piece. Um, and then, then got injured, I think it was against, uh, was it? I think it was Middlesbrough first, then you know spent a few weeks out, 10 weeks, I think it's 10 weeks, and then comes back, injures his other, I think it was his other knee uh, in the FA Cup, and then had to come back to Fulham. Um uh, and you just kind of at that point you think bloody hell like <laughs> get, give this get, give this guy a break, um, but no, it, 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 you know he's been given a fresh start and I think because he also talks about what it's like under Silver at the moment and he says he's not the only one and, and we've talked about that as well we've seen that in different players and that clean slate he seems to have, have relished he's enjoying being part of the group I think you know I, I don't I didn't get the impression speaking to him and I, I guess. If you do speak to him, we were talking about a squad competition. Can he get his place? And as if he's trying to talk his way into the team, it absolutely was not the case with that. He's enjoying his role. He sees himself having that opportunity at some point under Silver. He feels like he's getting it, but he also feels like he's getting a really good fair crap at the moment. And um, and that that's quite important. It's that's it's going to be one of Silver's biggest challenges, without a doubt, is is managing 
that squad um, because there are some very good players who aren't going to be playing week in, week out. And and in defence, of course, it's interesting because do you rotate? Do you rotate central defenders? Me personally, I would never do that. You want a stable partnership. So finding the right right balances will be key. But he he's in a good place. It feels like the team are in a good place too. And, and, and for him, it's just about getting in and getting a run. Um, I think the last time he had a good run of games was in the championship under Scott Parker. I think before Christmas, he had a really good stretch, didn't he, of, of games and then dropped out with, with another injury. So trying to, to stabilise that will be will be key for him. And, it, you know, I, I both so well to have that, to have a player of his quality just chomping at the bit, trying to get into the team. Well, you say he had a run of game, but he did struggle a lot in that 18-19 season, Jack, particularly um, that game against Brentford, uh, which we lost, was always kind of really the nadir of, of Alfie Mawson, wasn't it? And And he was kind of deservedly dropped from the team after that and he has struggled but it's it's great to see this Alfie Mawson resurgence and one thing I think is interesting Jack is now how with the kind of redemption of Alfie Mawson and and we know that John McElserry and what he's doing on the pitch the 2018-19 transfers which uh, are long talked about are much discussed and mostly maligned let's be honest um are suddenly not looking anywhere near as desperate as they were when you consider that the big money was spent on Seri, Mitrovic, Mawson, Brian and Angisa. Yeah, yeah, they've, they've all had their moments, haven't they, um, in terms of, of this film side. Look, I, I think we're going to need to see uh, a wee bit more from from both Alfie and, and John McHale Seri, to be honest, in, in, in probably the Premier League, in order to, to really banish the demons of that transfer window. Um, but I think... There's there's an element of that, right? We we knew that they were good players. There, there was no there was no doubt when Fulham brought them in that these were good footballers. It was just the fact that it didn't work within the setup, and that's that's a very different question to saying are you signing bad players, right? And and I think that you know there was there was no doubt among many of us. And look, you can go back to our go back to our the, the discussions we had at the start of that season, how excited we were when we signed Seri because he was such a talent, right? We were excited when we signed Mawson because we were like, look, we've had defensive issues. We need someone who's going to come and step in. What we didn't have was any right-sided defenders. You know, and, and where, we, where we fell down there was squad building, not in terms of personnel, but the fact that Alfie Mawson likes playing on the left of a back, of a back centre-back pairing. So did Tim Ream. So did Maxime LaMarchand. We still didn't have a right-sided player at that point. You know, the, the facts were that we did lots of squad building without actually looking at where the holes were. And yes, I think we can banish some of those demons, but we should also learn those lessons. It's not just about bringing good players in. It's about bringing players in in positions that fit uh, and, and who fit with the mould of the squad and who are willing to, you know, to appreciate the dynamic of what's around them. Now, obviously those players did not fit in under Slavisa Ikanovic and then under Claudio Ranieri. And then to be honest, under Scott Parker, it's taken a fourth manager to bring those players properly into the fold. That's not, that's still not good recruitment. It's they're good players, but it's about building a squad. It's about building a team. It's about, you know, finding things that mesh. And I think those lessons have now been learned. But I think that while we can look back and say, okay, that window wasn't as bad as we perhaps thought it was, the lessons that we learned from it were perhaps the most important thing that came out of it. 
Yeah, and it's, it, there's also the case of bringing a, a load of players in at one time and trying to they put them together and say play when there's so many other factors at, at play when you when you sign someone. I mean, signing someone's one of the biggest challenges in football. It's one of the biggest risks because there's so many so many variables from moving families to move to new locations, languages, everything. And when you do loads of them at the same time, it, it makes it more difficult. There's really, uh, I don't know if you've read Ben Littleton's book, Edge. Um, he speaks to Ben Darwin about cohesion and he's done yeah. his next rugby player and he talks about how cohesion is so important and how that elevates performance and, and results and they're directly linked you know if you've spent years playing with someone you're going to play better <laughs> as a team collectively than if you're playing with someone new so there is that element of time knowing your surroundings knowing the people you're with knowing the language and and that's how you we make you, you get performances like this so there's no question they're good players but it's, it's just implementing that in the right way they're good dogs um, brent they're good dogs <laughs> Uh, Peter, I've got two questions for you. First of all, uh, Fabry, if he can't get on the bench for the Carabao Cup over Ashby Hammond, what has happened to him? What, what, like, have we got any indication or is this a mystery that even Detective Rutzler can't quite um, solve? I, I don't think it's much of a secret. He's just not in the plans. He's just not in, not in Silver's plans. He's not been in the picture for a while, but he's just not moved. So, I mean, that's that's kind of it. I mean, that is. Um, at the moment, I think the, the three main keepers have been Marek Rodak, Palagats and and then Luca Rashby-Hammond. Luca wasn't on the bench. It was his brother Tay on, on Tuesday night. But um, wow, I did not know that. So Yeah, we have um, dots. It was, uh, and then I think Damien Lass would have been, was also there, who's a, a youth keeper too. So Fabri's just not in the picture. He's just not in the picture. I don't think, I think if Fulham could move him on, they, they probably would, but they haven't been able to do so and he hasn't gone, so. A fascinating situation. Um, and secondly, probably uh, a more important question. Uh, Ryan Stefanik um, pointing out to you know, Reading, who could be deducted nine points for breaching financial rules. Obviously, we've seen what's happened to Derby this week, who have been deducted 12 points and now a minus two. Um, he asks, um, genuine question you could maybe discuss on the next pod. Do you think Fulham have played within the FFP rules? Um, they seem to be getting stricter to uh, EFL clubs and Fulham have run close before. Well, I mean, Fulham actually have been hit with an embargo um, back back in the day. Um, I'm trying to remember which year it was. I want to say it's 2016. I believe in that January we couldn't sign players. I might have got my year slightly wrong, but I'm pretty sure there was a January transfer window where Fulham had an embargo. Um, so, you know, is there anything ever for Fulham fans to worry about? The Khans continue to, to pour money in, to lose serious, serious sums of money. But the impression I get, Peter, is that we are doing everything to stay within the rule book because we know the consequences if we don't, but maybe I'm naive. We, we've talked about the structure of some of the, the transfer deals that Fulham have done. It's been interesting because Mar Marco Silva, we talked about Nathaniel Chalabar, will always say mention the fact that he was free. And then he will also, he was discussing Harry Wilson last week and he was asked about him and the fee uh, by, by a reporter. And, and, and Silva was like, well, he said, what do you think the fee is? And you know, I think it was 12 million, which has been reported everywhere. And he said, well, that's just not true. It's not true. There's lots of things being said that are not true about what we're spending. Um, I, I, my, my understanding is that it's a loan that becomes a permanent 3 million each year and then 3 million potentially in add-ons, which does add up to 12 if, if all are met. Um, so I think with that in mind, I think Rodrigo Muniz is another one, which is a split fee. Um, there, there is definitely a consciousness. We know, we know Tony Khan's totally spoken about it publicly about trying to stay within financial fair play regulations. Now, Fulham have committed to a lot of money, like regardless of you know what they've spent now. 
you know, Harry Wilson could end up being 12 million quid and that would 12 million quid on the books. And if you're in the championship, that's quite big when you're, you're limited to 13 million pound losses per year. Um, it's difficult to sort of completely ascertain it because as we talked about, the two previous years have been sort of merged to one. My sort of look on it at the moment is I think they're okay. Parachute payments help. But if they don't go up, if Fulham don't go up this year, then then I think it would be more much more of a concern. Absolutely, definitely. I think it would just the, the nature of one squad wages income that comes from from other areas beyond just ownership input uh, for a club of Fulham size. That's that's inevitable. I think what what Bournemouth are looking at, having covered them before, similar sort of issues in terms of what you can get through through gate receipts and things like that. There, there is a limit on what you can do, and once the a Premier League wage bill comes into, uh, once it meets financial fair play in the in the EFL, after you've come through parachutes, it becomes trickier. So once if Fulham don't go up this year, then they'll have to move bodies on or reduce the wage bill. I think that's just that's just inevitable, and that's where it becomes trickier. Thank you for your question, Ryan. Um, and if you ever have any questions for the Thursday Club, uh, we don't generally put a questions tweet out um, for the Thursday Club. But if you have a kind of a, a longer question, maybe for Peter uh, or for Jack, uh, you can always email us hello at fullamish.co.uk or send us a DM on Twitter or, or something like that. And we'll always try to include them where we can. OK, quick break. And then we'll look ahead to Saturday's trip to Bristol. <laughs> Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy with Jack and Peter. Let's look ahead to Saturday's trip to Bristol City, to Ashton Gate. And here's the fact that no one wants me to tell on the podcast. Bristol City have not won a game at home since the 26th of January 2021. A 2-1 win over Huddersfield Town, uh, at least in the uh, championship anyway. I haven't checked all their cup games and well, Peter might as well just finish the podcast right here and congratulate Bristol City on their one 0 win. Yeah, I was going to say it's a preview done, isn't it? I don't need to do yeah. it anymore. That's, that's <laughs> results sewn up. No, it should be a good game actually. And, and Bristol City have picked up um, in their last few results. It's been sort of a difficult period. Last year was quite difficult for them, but at, you know their last results. I think they beat QPR away, haven't they? In the last their last five, they've drawn with Luton, drew drew Preston, I think, uh, yeah. beat Cardiff away. You know, they're, they're pretty good results. Um, so Nigel Pearson seems to be getting a tick out of a side that looked to be in free fall at the back end of last season. Um, had a not so had a good start, as we said earlier in the pod. Then sort of it just faded away. They had lots of off-field issues. I think the CEO, Mark Ashton, left. Uh, he's gone to Whipswich now. Um, Dean Holden was appointed after Lee Johnson's departure, which was last summer. And I think that was a... Uh, an underwhelming appointment for Bristol City supporters, um, particularly as Johnson had been there for a while. Um, and, you know, Nigel, Nigel Pearson came in midway through the season to try and pick him up and just wasn't able to do it. So they're a club that I, I think Alfie Mawson said it in the interview as well, you know, they've got all the resources there to be a, a top club. It's a big city. They, they should be um, a club that they're competing at least at the top end of the championship from that area of the country. Um but they haven't been able to do it. But now they seem to be on a bit more of an even keel. And considering the recent form, it should be a tough game. And and the uh, that stat you read out, Sammy, means that it's the it's a foregone conclusion. Yeah, uh, Jack. It always a nice trip uh, over to Bristol. Fulham actually have a fairly good record there from from recent memory. Of course. We'll always remember it as the last game before COVID. Um, so it was kind of like the final away day, the, the last day of Rome, really, that trip to, to Ashton Gate in, in March. Uh, how do you think Fulham set up for this one? What would you like to see? Uh, another weird fact about this game is that the home team basically never wins. 
Yes, um, famously. Yeah, whichever, whether it's at the cottage, we lose to Bristol and then at Ashton Gate, we tend to do okay. Um, how do I think we set up? I, I, I can't imagine there's going to be huge amounts of changes if I'm perfectly honest with you. I think that, that Silver will back his side, you know, despite the fact that we lost to Reading. I think you look at that game and think, you know, nine times out of 10, I think Fulham win it. Um, and, and therefore, I'll be very surprised if we see many changes from from what happened. I think, you know, Harrison Reed, I suppose, might come into this side uh, for Nat Chalaber. Um, that's really the only change I can imagine seeing from the outset, um, unless unless Fabio Carvalho is back. Um, but that's the, the if Fabio Carvalho is back, I'd imagine Bobby Reed might go wide. Um, t- Cavalero drops out. Um, I'd imagine we're going to see Wilson on one side, Mitrovic up front. Seri, I think, will play. I'd imagine it's going to be Tosin and Tim Ream. I'd imagine it's going to be Anthony Robinson. I'd imagine it's going to be Dennis Adoy and Gazaniga. Um, Chalaber, I suppose, is the only position at the moment that feels like there's been quite heavy rotation in it. Um, so so there's that and and the, the Fabio Carvalho question. But perhaps uh, Peter has slightly more on that than I do. Well, I'll find out today in the uh, press conference this afternoon. So, um, it, so the last sort of indication with Fabio was that this weekend was possibility. So maybe, and I agree with Jack. I think that's the that's probably the the most likely position to change. Um, I think Nat Chalaber may keep his place. To be honest, I think he's been very good in the two games. He's had that rest now because I think he he'd had two two ninety minute games in about three days, and he'd not played at all really since about April. So to come through that, okay. Have another week. I think he, he's in a, he's in a good position, and but the, the rest of it feels quite set because of you know who who played in in midweek. But um, but but we shall see. Carvalho is the interesting one, and of course, I think if he, if he's available, then then he'll play. We'll keep an eye on Peter's socials uh, for anything breaking from the press conference. And that'll do for today. Thank you very much for listening, uh, Jack. We just need to title the podcast. What was your favorite three word review? Uh, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna give it to Justin Miller. Uh, don't care about it. I think it's probably probably about as good as it gets. Really, that's that's excellent. Very very yeah. good. Well done, Justin. Well done, Justin. Uh, everyone have a top weekend. Uh, if you're off to Bristol, see you there. Always a good trip down to the West Country. Uh, thanks to my guest Jack Collins. See you in Bristol, mate. Thank you very much, Sammy. See you in Bristol. Uh, and Peter, uh, are you heading on the train down to Bristol? Uh, I'm not sure yet, but I will be there. I'll be there. I'll, I'll find a way to get there. By hook yeah, or be, by crook. By hook or by crook. I will be there. Um, I will probably send you uh, some sort of comical tweet on, on Saturday morning, as seems to be my ritual now. Yeah, I look forward to that. Something to do with lunchboxes. <laughs> there's more food. There's more press food at games now. So the, the, the lunchbox has sort of been retired, you know. Okay, but we can still get cans. So we're... we're, Can, we're, that, we're that is true. We are edging closer week week on week to to Peter's big away day. All right. Thank you very much for listening. (laughs) Have a good weekend and hopefully Fulham can get back to winning ways on Saturday. You whites. You whites.